as humans, we seem to have an innate sense of dissatisfaction. Once upon a time, this might have served as well from an evolutionary point of view. Aiming to be stronger, fitter, faster, might have helped us evade the attacks of saber-toothed tigers and avoid getting trampled on by woolly mammoths. Aiming to have a bigger, brighter cave might have made us more attractive to a mate, therefore ensuring the continuation of our genes for future generations. But where does it leave us now? You could say that this sense of dissatisfaction with who we are, where we are and what we've got is fueling this capitalist world that we live in, this striving for more material goods and status symbols. So our sense of worth and success seems to be attached with the size of our house, the number of noughts on our bank balance, and the things we've got, the holidays we go on, and the clothes we wear. But is that really what success is? Or is success about finding contentment, finding happiness? And how do we even gauge that? There's that question of, are we nearly there yet? Which begs another question, where is there? And how do we know when we've got there? These are kind of existential questions that a lot of us have to face when we're choosing our careers and making our way through life. If we're not striving for more, striving for better, are we less worthy than those who are attaining the great heights of, of success that we're all supposed to aspire to? Or is it enough to be content with what we've got, where we are, and who we are right now? This is a conversation I had with the journalist and author Oliver Berkman, who argues that you don't need to earn your place to take up space on this planet. It was automatically granted to you when you were born. Oliver is the author of uh, The Antidote, Happiness for People Who Can't Stand Positive Thinking, and Help, How to Become Slightly Happier and Get a Bit More Done. Later this year, 4,000 Weeks, his forthcoming book, will be published, and he talks a lot about this whole idea of why we're here and how we can get the most out of life without necessarily punishing ourselves to be constantly striving for better, more, bigger, shinier, and more expensive. If you want to find out more about Oliver Berkman and sign up to his excellent newsletter, you can find him at www.oliverberkman.com www.oliverberkman.com and I hope you enjoy this conversation where we dig into some of those some of those questions about are we nearly there yet and how do we even know what that looks like when we get there all right I hope you enjoy this and I'll speak to you again at the end uh, so Oliver thank you uh, for sparing the time to chat with me um, you have written well it's two books now isn't it you've, you've got the antidote the happiness for people who can't stand positive thinking help how to become slightly happier and get a bit more done and then your third book 4,000 weeks and I, I guess that's a reference to you only get so much time in life so better make the most out of it yes right I mean I think the joke there if there is a joke is that there's uh, you know it makes it sound like it's it's just saying who specifically it's for, but but that yeah. refers to everybody. <laughs> um, I think the the feeling in the UK was that that, that the phrase time management sounds um, too much like a business book, uh, yeah, or in a way that is not uh, sort of an accurate reflection of of what's inside. To me, that's kind of the joke of that phrase. But I also yeah. appreciate, you know, like you you want to I want to reach uh, the the right. Well, you've got to make a living as well, haven't you? So you don't want to yes, like, exactly. get, you know, lose half your audience there. But, um, right. but, yeah, but this is kind of what you've been writing about the whole time in your Guardian column and, and all this kind of stuff. It's about um, 
one of, one of your things is build a meaningful life in the age of bewilderment. And it's, it's that kind of notion of how do we get something meaningful from our, our time, our short time on this earth without kind of punishing ourselves too much, without kind of, you know, losing the, the point of why we're here. Um, but at the same time, you talk about how we're, we're all completely insignificant in the, the grand scheme of things. Um, so why try too hard uh, to put a dent in the universe, you know? So, so how do we get that balance right? How do we, how do we kind of make a, find our purpose, yet at the same time, hold on to our kind of insignificance, if you like? I'm interested that you talk about it as a balance because I think it's kind of the same point in a way. I think what I think one way of talking about the sort of if there is a sort of consistent theme through what I've been thinking about and writing about for a while now is is the sort of the very empowering benefits of seeing reality as it, as it is and facing uh, reality as it is. Now I think this actually applies in huge number of domains but in the one that is relating to sort of time and time management this is about saying you know if you understand your limitations the limited amount of time you get on the planet the limited amount of time in a day the limited amount you can do your limited capacity to change the world that isn't a sort of council of resignation where you yeah. see the truth of it and you feel very depressed and uh just stay at home watching netflix that is that's like the first step to really doing whatever is the most meaningful uh, the, uh, of activities that are open to you. That is the way to make the best decisions uh, about what to prioritize in your, in your limited time and your limited life and to sort of really get the most out of yeah. having got to be a human being here. And, and my sort of uh, hopefully good humored rant against a lot of um, conventional advice on time management and productivity is that the end result of it is, is that it just sort of enables this illusion that with the right system and then enough self-discipline you can sort of get everything done you don't have to make tough choices you get to sort of be in a way I mean if you want to get sort of very sort of metaphysical about it it's, it's almost encouraging our delusions of that, that we can be sort of godlike with relation in relation to reality instead of like deeply limited and mortal and it might feel good for an hour or two to think that you're implementing a new sort of system of time management that's going to um, mean that you excel to the maximum in, in every single role that you could possibly imagine. But it doesn't work. And the re end result, I think, is that people just get busier and feel like their goals are even more uh, slipping away over the horizon than they otherwise would be. So I think that sort of facing reality, including our insignificance as individual humans in the span of you know, planetary time or whatever, and finding a meaningful life are completely two sides of the same coin, really, yeah. I mean, do you think that like we, we kind of set ourselves these impossible goals? You know, there's, there seems to be a lot of success porn and achievement porn on, especially Twitter and social media. If, if you're into that, there's a lot of, um, you know, get the right habits, um, you know, the, the morning routines of successful people, all of this kind of stuff. And if you're not getting up at 5 a.m. to work on your side hustle, you're, you, you know, you're, gonna, you're gonna, a complete failure at life. Do you think we actually need someone to say to us, actually, it's all right, you know, it's okay to just be, you know, not to be a super achiever. It's okay just to live and to get kind of some sort of joy from small things and from day to day. 
you know, mundanities, if you like. I think totally. I think that's totally right. I mean, I, I feel a bit conflicted about this because as it might not surprise you to hear, I'm like a total sucker and always have been for those kind of, all that kind of stuff. This is for sort of, you know, the perfect morning routine for uh, how to sort of cram a whole extra kind of dimension to your life in through, through the clever management of your to-do list or, or whatever. Um, so if there's any wisdom in the stuff I'm writing about at the moment in the book I've got coming out, it's sort of the wisdom of someone who's like been all the way through that and found the limits of it, um, as opposed to somebody who's just sort of um, implacably opposed to it. So, yeah, I think, you know, there's a very strong role for, for remembering that, um, you know, you don't need to earn your place on the planet the the culture and the economy makes us need to earn our our place in all sorts of ways financially and, and otherwise but the sort of that at that deepest existential level yeah um you don't want to connect your sort of right to exist <laughs> to any particular degree of, of of accomplishment and also i think that's how you then will go on to accomplish more if you're freed from that burden that you know you have to do it just to sort of justify your existence. I think the kind of ultimate ideal endpoint here would be not to reject all that stuff about side hustles and perfect morning routines utterly, but to be able to sort of see the, the very limited role it can play. It's fine if people are inspired by that. I think you sometimes get a sort of pushback that goes too far and says, you know, because we shouldn't live in a socioeconomic system that requires some people to have side hustles just to just to pay the rent therefore if you are excited by the idea of launching a business in your spare time that's somehow bad i don't think it is bad i think it's just a question of seeing this stuff in the right context understanding that you know no productivity technique is going to be the final answer to the problem you may have about you know feeling a lack of self-worth or the problem you may have of um thinking that you've always got to um, meet everybody else's demands or whatever your particular hang up is from, you know, all the different ways in which even the best parents screw us up in one way or another. Um, uh, You know, I don't, I don't think that um, uh, becoming more efficient with your time in one way or another is ever going to be the, 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 the way that people make it through that. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have a, cool morning routine if it's kind of a fun thing for you to do and well this is it 5 a.m is straightforward i mean you (laughs) you reminded me of something then and i'm I'm just looking for it now um and it's a it's a quote uh and i'm just um because there, there does seem to be this thing that you know we we outsource our kind of direction in life to all these other institutions and people who've gone before us and all these people who say, this is, if you're going to be successful, you need to get these grades and you need to do this and you need to be earning, you know, seven figures and you need to be doing that. But there's a Ray Bradbury said, um, the, the whole secret is to do things that excite you. And, and I guess that's, that's one way of finding success in life. It's not about the size of your bank balance, but it's about engaging with those things. You know, if you have got an amazing routine, don't become a, a kind of slave to it, become the owner of it and just do the things that float your boat, I guess. I mean, you're, you're a writer and that's something that clearly um, 
is for you, but you're not writing about finance, for example. You're you're right. choosing the things that kind of interest you. And, I, you know, in, in The Antidote, you talk about happiness is maybe not what we should be striving for here. Is is kind of happiness a bit of a bit of a kind of red herring and actually we need to be searching for things that engage us and excite us and interest us do you think I think that's right I think um happiness is problematic on a number of levels because it's very hard to define because we're sort of notoriously bad at predicting uh what will make us happy um it's a sort of a placeholder term for what people want out of life. But if you look too closely at uh, what the word connotes, I feel like it's a lot of things that people don't really want out of life. Um, if you get into a deep conversation with someone, they will very rarely tell you that they really would like to, you know, get through their lives without feeling the, the many negative feelings that come from really engaging with life, right? I mean, yeah. grief and uh, sadness and even anxiety in certain ways, I feel like is a kind of, it, it's an expression of kind of committing to living in reality that these things, that these things uh, come up. So I, I, you know, then I tend to talk about a meaningful life and that is that I think you can make the same criticism that that's just a placeholder word yeah. for um, something that is very hard to, express uh, in, in, in clearer terms. But I think that for me anyway, that sort of gets at something instinctive about, or intuitive about, um, you, you know, there are all sorts of things in anyone's life that they're glad they did, uh, even though they probably weren't um, yeah. feeling really thrilled and cheery uh, in the moment of doing it, or sort of emotional capacities that they wouldn't want to shut off, you know, so um, I've got a four-year-old son and as every parent from time immemorial has said, you know, parenthood involves this strange thing of kind of having a, a part of the thing you care about more deeply than anything else kind of out in the world, like with yeah. someone else right now, it's kind of a very unnerving whenever you stop to think about it, but you sort of wouldn't want to be the kind of person who had no access to that kind of anxiety, I feel like. Um, it's, it's funny because I, yeah. I have a two-year-old and I, I always say to people, you know, and we, she was born prematurely and we had sort of difficulties all along the way and she's absolutely fine now. But people say to me, you know, is it, is it amazing having a child? Right. And I say, it's the best thing in the world, but I wouldn't want to wish it on anyone else. <laughs> it's um, right. Right. And I guess yeah. that's, that's like you've said, um, obviously I get your kind of by month or your twice monthly email newsletter. And you've, you've spoken in the past about, you know, the, the way to kind of grow and and get more more value from life is to do the things that are actually a bit uncomfortable and a bit you know you know we have this tendency to run away from suffering um but actually the, the way to really get value from it is to engage with it and go through it i think you know engage with those difficult emotions um do the do the hard things um that ultimately will bring us reward um you know and it's it's that kind of like you said, engaging with the anxiety and the, the fear and all the different things, because you can live a happy life, I guess you can, you can put yourself in a nice bubble and, and never kind of experience life. But ultimately, that's really boring. You know? I think boring, yeah, boring at best. And actually, what happens is that a different kind of um, mental suffering ar arises in that context and does for all of us to the extent yeah. that we try to avoid suffering, which 
everyone does to some extent, right? There's a great quote from Jung. Uh, he says, uh, neurosis is always a substitute for legitimate suffering. And the word neurosis in this context is kind of a little old fashioned now, but, but the, there's a distinction being drawn there between the kind of discomfort that sort of comes with doing what matters and stepping into life fully and to your personal power fully to get a bit um, sort of new agey about it. Um, and then there's another kind which comes from <clears throat> avoiding all that stuff. And I mean, I think all of us are avoiding all that stuff to some degree yeah. uh, uh, all the time. There's, uh, I assume the sort of perfectly psychologically healthy person doesn't exist, but um, you know, that's the kind of suffering that feels somehow unnecessary or meaningless, or it doesn't take you closer towards uh, uh, a sense of sort of authentic life. And, and you sort of regret the fact that you spent how many, how many years feeling that kind of suffering Then the other kind, yeah. it's hard to put words on, but the other kind is the kind that like, you know, it often sucks, but you do ultimately know deep down that like that was a part of showing up for, for life. Yeah. I mean, cause you, you've talked about kind of some of the most important things we need to do are the things we, we don't want to do. Um, and I mean, that can be day to day having the conversations we don't want to have, or it could be, you know, it could be something as straightforward as going for a run when it's cold outside or something like <laughs> Tell that. Tell me about it. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's probably pretty cold where you are right now, I should think. But um, yeah. yeah. Has, the, has the snow gone yet from? Uh... Yes, actually, I was I was hesitating because today literally is actually surprisingly warm, but we're in a we're in a cold part of the year for sure. Yeah. I mean, I struggle to go jogging even on the warmest days. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there is that that sense that, you know, we can choose the easy option and, you know, go away from the things that are difficult and choose the things that are, um, you know, you, you've talked about going the, the counterintuitive way and, and, you know, really seeking out the difficult, um, the difficult things like the Stoics would say, you know, that the obstacle is the way, uh, right. in a way, you know, really engage with that thing, which actually looks quite painful. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Sorry, I didn't want to. No, no, I'm just. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I think you, this comes up in so many different places. The obstacle is the way in Stoicism. The, there are Jungians who talk about the idea that the problem is the solution. I mean, one way of putting it, which I wrote about in one of those emails, is just that, like, if you want to change in some way, and hopefully, I think most of us want to change in some way most of the time i feel like that's a that's a that's a sign of life in, in some sense um it's going to be counter to your um instincts because like every instinct that you've developed in your life has been for the maintenance and flourishing of the kind of person that you are right now so if this makes sense you know a, a change you're going to make want to make to that is going to feel uh painful this rather overused and self-help analogy of of weightlifting is actually very useful there's a reason it's overused i mean you know if you if you want uh, a, a dumbbell lifting a dumbbell to have an effect in strengthening your muscles uh it, it has to be uh on the edge of what you can uh handle it has to feel uh at least some somewhat uncomfortable 
that's that's the whole point. That's uh, that's the change that you're that you're seeking to make. Um, I don't think this is a recipe for sort of going through your whole life looking for the most difficult challenges. That can be its own kind of uh, yeah. uh, weird weird psychology, probably. But but certainly this this idea that like something matters to you, and you know at a sort of deep gut level that it's something you want to be doing in your life. Like it's really helpful if you can drop or at least loosen the expectation that it's going to feel great every every minute that you're doing it because uh, that will really sort of send you off in the wrong direction. I mean, I, I suppose there's a there's a kind of sense that you have to engage in in those difficult things, but I mean, there has to come a point where you you kind of say maybe this is too difficult an experience to to deal with. I, I know a lot of the great thinkers have kind of gone through a, a personal crisis before they've come out and flourished as, you know, um, you know, this leader or whatever. I know in, certainly in, in Buddhism, a lot of the great Buddhist, um, modern Buddhist speakers like uh, a Jack Cornfield or, mm -hmm. or people like that have all come from sort of trauma, if you like. Um, and it's a question I sort of often ask people, you know, do you have to go through this crisis before you can really find out who you are? Or do you think you can just find out who you are by getting there bit by bit, slowly by, you know, step by step? Do we need to be beaten down and, and crushed before we can rise like a phoenix again? <laughs> it's really interesting. Uh, I do think about this. And there's a part of the book where I try to, um, the new book where I try to talk about what it is that people learn from very close encounters with mortality of a kind that, uh, you know, at, at this point in my life, I can't really say that I have had it firsthand. Um, I, I think, uh, in a way, there's a one argument is like, why are we asking this question? Because nobody is going to uh, voluntarily precipitate that kind of uh, agony in their lives. So, so if even if it is true on some level that we quote, need to experience it. Uh, though, if you're not experiencing it at the moment, or you never have, then uh, then sort of case closed yeah. in a way. Um, but I also do think there's some wisdom in that old, uh, that old line. I don't know where it comes from, particularly a sort of self-helpy uh, line that the, that the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Um, meaning, I take it that, um, you know, on some level, just life brings us up against our edge yeah. all, all the time. And so, um, you know, I think probably all of us, certainly me, <laughs> have kind of things we struggle with in, yeah. in life that feel from the inside like kind of big life or death dramas. And I think are the opportunity, uh, if you come at them right, to, to grow and to develop some of these... Um, some of these qualities that we admire in su such at such a greater level in sort of spiritual teachers and great philosophers and thinkers of the past um you have that opportunity because it does feel like kind of a big deal to yeah. live one's own life from the inside now if i actually started talking about those issues i don't mind talking about them but they would i guarantee they would seem like weirdly small yeah. beer to every other person um but i bet almost everyone listening would be able to slot yeah. in allergy the, the thing that serves that function for them 
I mean, do you think life itself is is a kind of ongoing trauma that we just have to kind of <laughs> battle our way through and try and come out as unscathed as possible at the other end? I think that's a nice way of thinking about it to some extent. I mean, on some level, our concepts of trauma exist precisely to sort of demarcate certain extremes, right? So, so if we're all doing it, maybe it can't be trauma in a in one sense. But there's a long sort of psychoanalytic tradition, especially of thinking about birth and being parented as a kind of yeah. the infliction of a wound, even if your <laughs> parents are, you know, the loveliest and most uh, earnestly sort of loving people you could imagine. There's something about going from the sort of uh, perfect situation of not even having been born to the, um, to the kind of situation of getting all your needs in the ideal case anyway, you know, taken care of by someone else and gradually having to sort of stand yeah. on your own two feet and uh, earn a wow. damn wage and everything. Like, you know, I totally, I can see that. Um, we, we I just reviewed, sorry. Yeah. I was gonna say, we come into the world crying, don't we? So it can't be that. <laughs> right, exactly. That sort of howl of rage that this should, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, didn't, we didn't ask for it. And I think that's a long tradition in philosophy and existentialism. And I think blah, Bob blah, Dylan blah, said, you know, we, we, nobody chose to be here. You know, it was it was forced upon us. <laughs> right. So we right. just got to make the most of it until we can get back to wherever we came from. Right. Bob Dylan or someone like that. You know. Um, yeah. No, I think it's. Um, so I think it's interesting to. I don't want to. You're always on thin ice, suggesting that like you know, all of us have the same sort of traumatic experiences. Though that portion of society that actually has had specific and unique traumatic experiences but I think it's a useful frame for yeah. for thinking about all this because it's sort of one thing it does for me is it like it instantly lifts from my shoulders the burden of thinking that I'm supposed to be finding all of this completely easy and yeah. like never never encountering any difficulties it's like no what a ridiculous situation to be born into as a conscious as a sort of conscious human being limited in time and yeah. uh, abilities on the earth. In I, I mean, I, I, spent, history. I spent most of my life thinking I'm doing it wrong and I'm right. such a failure, you know, and I look at other people who've got the nice cars and, you know, think they, they've got it right. They know exactly what they're doing. What, where am I going wrong? What do the, what do they know that I don't know? And then you speak to them and they've got an alcohol problem or they've got right. like divorce behind them or they've got, you know, some kind of thing where, okay, they might be doing all right in this, this area, but they're struggling elsewhere or, you know, everyone finds this hard and we're, we're just trying to make them, everyone is trying to make the most of it one way or another, you know? Right. And I think, yes, I think totally. And I think that that illusion that you could do it perfectly is, is really, you know, it's totally fundamental to what I'm trying to get across in this book. It's, it's such a sort of, it feels so important to me in my own life, just this idea that like, it, there is, there may be certain things you could do better. I assume there are certain things all of us could do better at any given moment, but some aspect of the situation that you find yourself in is called is like a structural consequence of being human <laughs> yeah. and therefore it's kind of off your it's kind of off your shoulders to uh find a solution to it there's a quote from the buddhist teacher charlotte jocko beck that i've got at the beginning of um at the front of this uh forthcoming book which has become a sort of a 
motto for life for me at the moment, which is um, what makes it unbearable is your mistaken belief that it can be cured. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of fantastically bleak, but also to me sort of uplifting because, uh, you know, there because are a lot of problems. Off the hook. And, and, right. There are a lot of problems. You're not going to get away from them. The one thing you can uh, let go of is the notion that it ought to be fundamentally otherwise you know uh that's just extra pressure because i guess that comes to that 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 notion you were talking about in one of your um newsletters you know this whole idea of are we there yet and i know in in therapy and in in certain kind of um personal development spheres there's this question what do you want and how will you know when you're there you know and, and then what you know mm -hmm. and there's there's this argument of like maybe we should just be enjoying what we're doing right now and kind of just be grateful for where we are right now because if we if we get to a point where we kind of say this is it we've achieved everything we need to achieve then then what happens do we stagnate you know maybe happiness is in the in the process in the kind of journey forward um, yeah i think it i yeah i think it completely is and i think that, that there's something so so wise in that in that observation i think personally i have sort of uh, there's a chapter in my last book, The Antidote, um, about um, the trouble of sort of attaching too much to goals and to your yeah. future targets. Um, and I stand by that, but I think that I have sort of, I've, I've got a slightly, I hope, more sophisticated sense of this stuff since then. What I am against uh, is the idea that life will become truly real or truly problem-free or truly plain sailing at some point in the future when a set of things are achieved. Yeah. And that's where kind of be here now, focus on the moment, value the process is so important. But I do think that we need, we can think about small attain, measurable goals, goals that you do know when you've attained them as part of this process and this journey right so i i don't think it's just a question of becoming a sort of perfectly enlightened zen monk and not caring what tomorrow may bring i think it is it the the important distinction is between one day my life is going to be perfect and flawless and i'm not going to allow myself to be fully present until i get to that point versus like yeah right now i'm working on this whatever it might be Yep. short story my criterion for having reached the first level of completion for it is that i've got to the end uh and that it's more than three thousand words long or whatever you know some kind of measurable thing um my criterion for the next stage of it will be that i've edited it and shown it to two people and got their responses or you know i don't write short stories so i'm i'm imagining <laughs> what this process is but, but um those are goals and they are sort of goals that belong in the flow of life and you are not putting onto them the the expectation that they're going to transform your life but they are actually you know yeah changes in the status quo from now to how it will be different in a week's time and i think that is i wouldn't want people to take away from the antidote and i don't think they will take away from my forthcoming book the idea that that kind of sort of focused progress in the things that you really care about is somehow a problem. I think that it's, it's expecting something sort of ultimate and existential from 
from that kind of goal setting that's the problem yeah because I, I mean i was always brought up to kind of you know work hard keep your head down and life will give you everything you need and yes. and so I, I worked hard i kept my head down and never got a promotion never got you know pay rise <laughs> never got any christmas, christmas bonuses or anything like that and i'm thinking how on earth did this happen you know and then essentially i became i ended up becoming kind of a passive observer um, with no control over my own life mm -hmm. as opposed to someone now who's you know, taking a bit more ownership of that. And I suppose setting small goals like this um, helps you do that. You know, you can say, I'm going to, I want to run a marathon ultimately. So today I want to run around the park and then maybe I can next week I'll run twice around the park or, or something like that. And just take, right, right. take action and, and planned action. Um, right. Do you, I mean, do you think life needs to be a project in a way, or do you think it's just, you know, where, where do we, where do we draw the line between kind of, giving ourselves jobs to do and you know just stopping to smell the roses and enjoy ourselves yeah it's a, it's a really deep question and it probably takes me to sort of the very edge of my own like development on this stuff because i suspect that i approach more of life like a project than one might ideally um uh i think it relates to what i was just saying right <clears throat> i i think it's totally um fine to have these kind of goals, even in your leisure, even in your relationships to some extent, uh, just so long as they are not this kind of ultimate goal that, that has the effect of making the present, the devaluing the, 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 the present. Um, I talk in a section of the forthcoming book about um, uh, the sort of radicalism of the idea of having a hobby, uh, not a side hustle but just yep. like something that you do uh, that, that you're not seeking to attain um, outcomes with other than the, the, the doing of it. And I, I think that's an important part of this. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's just that like, you know, I, I think I do have certain goals and, and projects in my life, even outside work that are kind of as ever, and this is a sort of Buddhist insight, but it's the, the way in which you sort of attach or overattach to them that is the, that is the problem, not the, yeah. not the thing itself. Um, that, you know, it's, it's okay to want to get better at the, the musical instrument you're learning or something. That's, uh, it's just not, not sort of postponing life until the point at which you're uh, a virtuoso, I guess. Yeah, and I guess it's kind of taking enjoyment from that process of learning and getting better and practicing and and seeing what works. I often kind of refer to life as being a bit like a koan. You know, you just you're not here to find the answer, but you're here to kind of explore the the question and and go out and and try different things and and you know dip a toe in the water here and try something else over there. And if if you like that, go and do a bit more of that. And if you don't like it, go and try something else. You know. Um, just try not to go bankrupt in the process or, you know. <laughs> yes, no, I think it's, it's, <clears throat> it's great advice. I think, you know, we all do need some way of kind of getting purchase on life or getting traction or whatever the right word would be. Um, it is pretty, uh, you know, it may, may be possible for somebody, some people to um, just be sort of purely, utterly present to the to the moment. But in some ways, having these kinds of goals or launching these kinds of experiments with ourselves are kind of they're a kind of a handrail 
yeah. to that, right? For for the rest of us who aren't uh, haven't achieved uh, perfect transcendent spiritual enlightenment, to um, to sort of be present. Um, and if you know the way you can lose yourself in playing a piece of piano music is to be trying to work towards a a particular skill, a sort of skill level at the piano through lessons or exams or whatever. I think that's totally, totally fine. Do you think there's a, a danger that modern kind of material society with its advertising and its its nice shiny things and all of this kind of stuff is is taking away our, our, a little bit of our ownership over our own lives? Um, you know, and in, in it's saying, you know, by if you earn this much money, you will be able to afford this nice car or this nice holiday. And so we suddenly start outsourcing everything. And then before you know it, we suddenly got no, no kind of purchase, as you said, over what we're, we're doing. We're just waiting for our next pay rise or waiting for our next bonus. And we've lost sense of who we are and what makes us kind of feel part of life or at least, you know, owning our own life. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's exactly right. I think that this whole sort of this kind of abstract thing I've been talking about in this conversation about um, the sort of uh, illusion of godlike infinitude or whatever the word would be versus coming back down to earth with a bump and seeing what you really are. Um, the illusory side of that is completely sort of exacerbated by consumer capitalism because that's its job, right? To sort of um, not to satisfy, but to hold out the promise of, future yeah. satisfaction the carrot on um, the stick isn't it just right right forever out of reach yeah right and i think it was alan watts the great you know spiritual writer uh, who made this point although it's probably been made by others that that what we call materialism uh, when we complain about living in a materialistic society is kind of like it's the exact opposite uh, of what we actually live in you know we live in this society that um invests products with the power to do things uh, far beyond their material goods, uh, their material sort of reality. It, 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 it urges us to accumulate as much money as we can, which is kind of the least material thing in the world, kind of purely immaterial measure of, uh, of success or, or of potential to buy, to change your life in whatever way you might want. Um, and that actually a truly materialist approach to life would be one that that really was in the weeds of where you actually were, that was looking for meaning in the, excuse me, that was looking for meaning in the products that you actually own already, um, uh, that, that saw the benefit of a new acquisition in what it could actually do rather than in what it made you feel about yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think there's kind of, there's, there's, there's a lot, um, there's a lot in that. And it's definitely all about this kind of wanting symbolically to be, bigger and more sort of immortal creatures yeah. than we than we ever could be yeah because i mean i'm i um you know i'm i like to think that i'm a kind of spiritual guy and i'm not interested in all the kind of materialism and the shiny objects but for for a while i had a land rover and i wanted a land rover for ages and i finally got this land rover and it actually made me feel pretty good about myself you know this this thing yeah. it was just it was a horrible polluting you know big engine thing that I used to drive around and probably looked quite ridiculous climbing out of this thing but it actually made me feel like I'd, I'd achieved something and I'd arrived you know and a, a little part of the the spiritual emptiness inside me had been filled <laughs> by this, this well, as long as you had a large country estate to be driving it around that seems well, like the, the that crucial was another thing. thing that made me very unhappy about my life I didn't quite have that 
you know, the full <laughs> picture and, and the barber jacket and all that kind of stuff as well. But, uh, it's interesting though. I mean, like, you know, you also don't want to begrudge people the certain things that, that, you know, I think often those effects are very short lived. I don't know if that was true of your, how long did the, how long well, did the Land Rover make you feel good for? Well, it, it destroyed itself after a year. The engine went on it, so I never okay. quite found the answer to that question. So. <laughs> um, but you know, so, like you know, there's this phenomenon of hedonic adaptation that that yeah. that you know, you move to a new house that's way better than your last one, and then a month or two in, it's just where you live. It's not something you notice or yeah. gain gain pleasure from. Um, on the other hand, I think it's useful to kind of isolate in your own life what the what the few things are that seem to resist that um effect uh there was a lovely twitter thread i was following the other day about things that people have bought during the pandemic that they actually do think had, had ended up making them happier you know uh, as opposed to all the things that that uh, that wouldn't or that don't um so i think that you know uh the the sort of really nice coffee mug that I bought that I have my morning coffee out of really like is something that uh, delivers uh, pleasure to me. Um, some really good, uh, although most people hate them, I think, uh, buckwheat pillows oh, right. sleep okay. on that are kind of like, uh, like sleeping on a concrete block. Um, uh, again, you know, I think that's a, I'm, I'm happy every, I'm happy every evening when my head falls onto one of those and there's like weird, um, social psychology research that suggests that um, uh, cosmetic surgery, uh, when it's a success, uh, doesn't stop that people are happy to have, I, it's kind of, it's such a sort of cliched thing. There's so, it so, seems so sort of superficial and the sort of height of the materialist consumer capitalism or whatever, but, uh, but it seems to be that when people have uh, like facelifts and stuff, they, they, it keeps, it keeps, they, they remain happy about it for many, many years. So. You know, I don't particularly want to be the person who says, don't do that, if it has that... Um, well, I'm going to have to investigate effect. that, I think, see what I can <laughs> chip, you know, what I can remove or, you know, in some way. Um, but, I mean, do you think that we are just born dissatisfied? Do you think that's what the problem of all of this is? We are just dissatisfied creatures and we, we feel like life is about seeking satisfaction and, and correcting that, that problem? Or do you think that's something that we learn maybe as we as we grow up i don't know i'm definitely partial to the argument that you know to a sort of evolutionary argument for this this is made uh very well in um a book called why buddhism is true by uh robert wright um who's a sort of buddhist in an extremely secular sense and also not in the sense of claiming any great sort of meditative attainments he's he kind of feels like very much like me been to a couple of meditation retreats and tries to do it fairly frequently or whatever but he is an expert also in writing about sort of evolution and evolutionary psychology and he makes this point that certainly strikes me as very plausible that um you know a certain kind of dissatisfaction is highly adaptive um you if the goal is to get your sort of genes into the next generation and not to be uh, eaten by a saber-toothed tiger before you can do so, then you wouldn't want to be sort of someone who um, 
didn't stop looking for more opportunities to eat or reproduce or you know explore the next um explore the next frontier um and uh and and you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to be um you wouldn't want to be undistractable. I think that's a really interesting side of this too, right? You wouldn't want it to be the case that uh, you could just choose to place your attention on what you were looking at and not hear the um, the uh, predator creeping up in the bushes behind you. There's all sorts of ways in which sort of keeping us not quite satisfied is in the interests of um, the interests in quotation marks, I guess, of of uh, of evolution of natural selection. So in a way, the way that um, uh, Robert Wright presents this, you can sort of think of Buddhism, but I think a lot of other wise spiritual and psychological approaches as well as, as a sort of intervention ag against the um, uh, interests of evolution. If we take it as a given that we don't have to um, yeah. just, try and, just try and follow our uh, adaptive drives, then you are looking for a way to sort of reconcile yourself to um, uh, to that situation, to to take the edge off that dissatisfaction. I think he would also say that the Buddhist tradition is also gets at certain things that are sort of truer about reality than our evolutionary biases want us to realize. Right. So there's a sort of there are reasons for there are sort of evolutionary reasons for all our cognitive biases yeah. that you can see as why they are adaptive, but they're actually not. Um, they don't give you a sort of accurate picture of reality. So if you're interested in sort of knowing how things really are, there's there's something to be there's some sort of personal work to be to be done there as well. As that's well. it. I mean, I um, I went and uh, was listening to a, a Dharma talk the other day about. Um, you know going through the the different stages of meditation and the work involved in in kind of trying to see things as as clear as they they really are and it it is a lot of hard work which makes me think maybe we're not supposed to see how things really are at all and <laughs> you know maybe we are supposed to be biased and you know maybe the consumer consumerism and this this kind of constant dissatisfaction is the natural order of things maybe we're supposed to be yearning for holidays and and cars you know maybe that's just how we're supposed to have evolved Right. I mean, I think, you know, it, it all makes sense. And um, in a way, what you're, what I conclude from thinking about the relationship between sort of evolution and the quest for meaning is that it, in a way, the sort of the fact that we even have the capacity to wonder about the meaning of it all, or to seek a meaningful life rather than a sort of the immediate satisfaction of appetites and things that's all almost like an epiphenomenon uh, you know it's a sort of it's almost like a thing that came along with the ride it's not a, not central to evolution's goals for us that we uh, that yeah. we have these but um but we're saddled with them and uh and for at least some of us those kind of gnawing questions don't go away so uh yeah i think on some level a lot of personal development of the best kind is a kind of um, is a kind of resistance to um, to some of those natural imperatives. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, which is a funny way funny way of thinking about it, but I think it might be true. Yeah, I mean, do you think there's all this personal development, the books you're writing, the books you know, this whole kind of personal development Twitter, which you've even said is kind of a little bit right wing and a little bit too uh, macho? 
um you yeah. know do you, do you think it's a kind of therapy that we're going through to try and kind of make ourselves feel a bit more comfortable with this this dissatisfaction and this kind of cumulative trauma that we seem to you know be lumbered with uh, whatever happens one way or another yeah i don't know if this is what you're getting at but what it makes me think of so cut me off if it's not the, the thing no. is the degree to which advice giving is a is a form of okay. a sort of therapeutic yeah. role to play so like when i think about personal development twitter some of it is, as you say, pretty obnoxious, but some of it isn't, some of it's very useful. But the other thing it is, I think is useful to the people emitting it. And yeah. so um, I think that's absolutely true of my own writing if it counts as advice writing. Um, my hope that if I, my hope is that if I bring something relatively unusual to that, it's just, a a certain amount of honesty about the fact that it is also the journey that I'm on and that um, thinking these things through in these forms is, is partly, you know, just sort of self-therapy. I don't think that's a, a, a problem, actually. I think as long as it's sort of honestly approached, that is kind of the, um, th that's the right way to sort of, for us all to make this journey together right I mean it's not that there are some people who have well there may be but I don't think it's mainly that there are some people who have the secret and everyone else who is following them uh it is just that different people have different things to contribute and uh you know to toot my own horn maybe it's that I can put some of it into words better than uh average but that doesn't mean that I've got any further along the the, the sort of the path as than someone who whose whose contribution is not um to, to write about it so i'm getting feedback to that i get emails and reply to that um email newsletter all the time that are very plainly you know just as wise as anything if not much wiser than i than i wrote or that make me think about an angle that i hadn't hadn't thought about before and it feels collaborative in that way so i think there is a kind of a real role for kind of a group of I don't know what the right word would be. It's more, it, 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 it has more in common with a, a friendship relation, yeah. even though it isn't literally an intimate friendship most of the time, um, than a sort of teacher-student relation. And I know a bunch of people who sort of are meditation teachers and things who like to say this about their own work, right? That they're sort of like, that they're someone who sort of will, might have something to contribute as a companion on this strange journey rather than uh, the person who holds all the secrets. Do you think you need a kind of sense of self-awareness, a kind of honest um, and slightly objective view of yourself as objective as you can be um, in order to embark on this journey? Or do you think actually being a bit perhaps arrogant or, um, I don't know, I, I mean, there's a lot of, especially in finance Twitter, if you like, there's a lot of kind of, you know, if you're not doing this, you're doing it wrong. And that kind of aggressive right, tone right. is is slightly kind of, um, you know, it feels like I'm being bullied into a <laughs> right. coin or something. You know? I, I, had this, I had a bit of a sudden moment of uh, uh, insight or something about this just the other day. I was thinking like, you know, a lot of what I'm writing about and talking about at the moment, I feel like our insights gleaned from getting a little bit older and, you know, in, in Jungian 
terms, which I'm kind of into. This is the period called midlife, which can yeah. be anything from like 30 to 70. If you sort of read young in detail, it's not about uh, having a sort of one-off midlife crisis and uh, buying a sports car or a Land Rover. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but, um, but it is a kind of wisdom, if I can call it that, that, that comes from a sort of trying things out and certain things working out and certain things not working out and you become a different person. And it does sometimes, one does sometimes think, well, could there be an age that is sort of too young to be trying to internalize these, these lessons? If there was a, if there was a sort of 22 year old, uh, uh, listening to me, uh, talk about the importance of embracing your limitations, I think it's still true and it can be sort of rephrased in a way that makes it true, but there may be some benefits early in your adulthood for, thinking that, you know, you've got to do things one way and you're going to manage to become uh, sort of, you're going to manage to transcend the ordinary human condition. I don't know, maybe um, SpaceX wouldn't exist without that kind of self-delusion. I've got no idea. I mean, you know, maybe there are, maybe, um, maybe uh, there are sort of people among us who have that and uh, whether or not it makes them happy, it certainly does enable them to um, accomplish things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I mean, there's this, um, there's the, the Confucius quote, isn't there? Um, you know, um, a man has two lives and the second one begins when he only, when he realizes he only has one. Yes. And I, right. wonder, if, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that, that point of realization, when you realize kind of, hang on a minute, I've got this far, I still don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, yeah. Maybe that's the thing that kind of triggers all of this, this thinking and this kind of, you know this exploration if you like of oh my god i've wasted half my life i'd better make the most of the the next half if i'm if i'm that lucky you know yeah i think that's 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 one way of interpreting that great quote um by the way i love that quote because if you look on the internet you can't it's roughly 50 50 whether confucius said it or tom hiddleston well, I've I think heard... is that the funny the funniest <laughs> the funniest com combination of names it's possible to imagine well they, they... anyway <laughs> some people just they're not sure if Confucius even existed or whether it's right. just like a whole load of other you know right yeah yeah I mean what I said the sort of the sort of downbeat way of interpreting that quote is that like real life begins when you realize that like you've only got a certain amount left and you better sort of panic and get a move on there's something else there in there as well which is yeah which I feel like is just a sort of sinking back into reality a kind of that idea that it's not a dress rehearsal is, is sort of scary on the superficial level because it means you've got to get a move on if you're going to do anything. Yeah. Um, but in another sense, I think there's a sort of liberating thing there because it means that, you know, um, all, you, all you can deal with is what you have in front of you, but it's also all you have to deal with. So if your particular issues are to do with a feeling that you need to do more and uh, achieve more or uh, justify your existence in some way, which I think all of us who are interested in this productivity stuff probably suffer from on yeah. some level. That's a great weight off your shoulders, right? Because it's like, um, it, it means that you, um, it, it means that you can only hope to um, work with the day in front of you. Um, yeah. In philosophy, there's this whole this notion that um, ought implies can, that it makes no sense to say that someone has a moral duty to do something that it's not possible for them to do. And I think there's quite a lot of therapeutic benefit in that. It's like, well, you know, no one no one can expect you to uh, be superhuman because you are 
human and it's uh, it's not going to change no absolutely and uh, it, it kind of brings us on to that that whole idea of four thousand weeks you know it's kind of a probably a good way to kind of round up the the conversation you know how many weeks in do you realize hang on a minute i'm i'm ticking them off here and i haven't done the thing yet that's right in front of me right right you know yeah but maybe i don't even know what that thing is yet you know maybe there's maybe this is all just about you know finding the thing we need to investigate and uh, you know doing that investigation yeah i think it's a mode of being isn't it it's a sort of it's a it's a way of engaging with life rather than a specific uh, outcome to get from from life it is like that sort of living the questions or whatever you were saying uh, it's that kind of way of um yeah, it's a, it's a way of it's a way of being that that may that I think anyone can access at any time, even if they don't have a clear plan for what they want to be doing with their life. You do sort of want to be showing up for it in a in a in the most authentic way that you that you can, which is going to involve you know discomfort and yeah, not always uh, not always loving the specific hour of work that you're doing towards a project that really matters to you or something like that. And as a writer, I'm sure you can relate to that quite, um, quite a lot, you know. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's uh, if you expect it to be fun every every minute, uh, that's a problem. And the occasional famous writers who claim that, I'm very, very suspicious of. And uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and dislike. <laughs> yeah. And what what have they got that I haven't figured out yet? What are they doing that? Uh, you know right it's just strange it's just very strange that yeah. kind of oh yes i just my my fingers skip off the keys and it's a, it's a magical yeah. experience uh, yeah i don't need to hear from those people well on that <laughs> note um so when is four thousand weeks out when can we expect to be able to get it into it'll, it'll be published in august it's the end of august in the uk uh, beginning of august in the us and um yeah so last last week in august i think fantastic well i shall look forward to to reading that and uh, I shall look forward to continuing to receive your your emails and uh, reading your, your work in the Guardian and um, and yeah what's the best place uh, it's, it's oliverboatman.com I suppose is a good starting point for anyone who wants to yeah if there's one thing I'd like people to do it's sign up for that newsletter because then I can reach you about other things as well so that's oliverberkman b-u-r-k-e-m-a-n.com uh, and the the sign up form is is pretty obvious there fantastic cool well on that note thank you very much i really appreciate your time and uh just i've got too much to go away and think about now about my own <laughs> existence and why i'm such a failure and how to deal with that and uh, what's right in no front no 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 more of a failure than every human who's ever been born that's the important well i think that's i think that's the big problem that i need to address here so. <laughs> Brilliant. it's been a pleasure thank you no problem thanks very much there you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I think we can all take a little bit of um, solace from that whole notion that we don't have to be striving and punishing ourselves to have a good life and to be worthy people. If you want to find out more about Oliver, you can visit his website. As we mentioned, it's www.oliverberkman.com and you can sign up to his excellent newsletter there as well. And check out his books. Uh, there's The Antidote, there's Help, How to Become Slightly Happier and Get a Bit More Done. And later this year, 4,000 Weeks will be launched as well. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are plenty more. Wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe, give us a review, rate us. And uh, you can also find out about my writing, my books, and more episodes of this podcast on my website at www.chrisbrock.uk. 
All right, there's plenty more episodes to come. Stay tuned. We've got some really good guests lined up with some other thought-provoking conversations. And in the meantime, have a lovely day. Thank you.